We're joined now on the program by uh, Stephen Tipcox from the uh, podcast Locked on Horn Frogs. Stephen, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, hey we got to know. Uh, what was your favorite character? Was it Mickey? Was it Minnie? I mean, when when who did you take the most pictures with? Not your kids, you. Yeah, I mean, come on, Tom. You know, and there's, there's nothing like going in Cinderella's castle. It really is a wonderful <laughs> experience. Uh, no, I will say, you know, joking around about it, I, like, the Toy Story world and those rides were pretty cool. Like, it was nostalgic for me. I got to ride with my oldest, Bradley, who was into those movies, which was fun. Uh, but, yeah, we had a good time at Disney World. Uh, it's called the happiest place on Earth. And most of the time it was. Sometimes it was uh, a place where there were some meltdowns happening. But we survived, and we had a good time. It was good to get away with the family for a little while. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, this was 100 years ago. We went to Disneyland, took our kids to Disneyland. Uh, at the at, In the evening, they would have a parade. Did they, did they do that at Disney World? Yeah, they do a parade. Um, they did one at Magic Kingdom around lunchtime. And we saw that, which was fun. They did fireworks shows in the evening, so we went to a couple of those. And, uh, it was a good time. Like, the kid, my kids, we took our two oldest, the Bradley Six and Ivy's Four, and they're kind of the perfect age for those kind of things. Mm-hmm. They still, like, they still believe that these characters are who they say they are, and, um, but at the same time, like, they're old enough to sort of remember these things and, and experience a little bit more. So it was, uh, it was a good time, and, yeah, the parade was pretty great like it's amazing how they uh make that thing run every day because there's there's a lot going on at that place all right let's get into some sports talk here good stuff uh for your family uh baseball wise let's begin there i, I was just looking at the standings this morning Stephen, what we thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season hasn't happened what we thought wasn't going to happen has happened this has been one of those strange topsy-turvy seasons and the frogs are sitting there fighting with Oklahoma State for a conference championship. It really has. And, man, it's sort of amazing. I mean, TCU's been somewhat inconsistent this year. You know, last weekend it was an out-of-conference series, so it really didn't matter as far as what we're talking about. But they didn't play particularly well against Florida State. But Oklahoma State is really the only team that was kind of in that top three range to start the year um, that, that stayed around that. Now, Texas Tech, They'll have an opportunity playing the Pokes this weekend to uh, kind of make up for that. But that was a huge statement um, that they made in Austin, going down there and sweeping them. Uh, just a rough weekend for Texas, and, you know, kind of knocking them out of the mix. So it'll be intriguing to see how it plays out over these last, you know, six to nine games of conference play. Um, on TCU side, Riley Cornelius has been there for only third early year and has been good most of the season. He suddenly hit a wall. Like he struggled against Oklahoma State a few weeks back, and then last week against Florida State, um, he didn't even record him out. Like, he got knocked around, and they finally pulled him. So that'll be a huge component in, in how TCU does these last couple weeks of the season. But Oklahoma's a pretty good team. You know, that, that series is at home. Um, I feel like 17 or 18 wins probably gets you a conference title, but it's tough to say. I mean, as well as Oklahoma State's playing right now, that's going to be a tough series against Texas Tech. Um, it's just been a, a bizarre year, but here we are. I mean, we're, we're sort of staring at, you know, a two- or three-team race down the stretch, and it should be fun to watch it play out. Stephen, what's been the most pleasant surprise for this TCU baseball team so far this season? Is it the bullpen, the rotation, the, the lineup coming to life? What has surprised you the most? 
You know, individually, I'll give some love to a guy who had a tough season last year. So Tommy Sacco is, is their shortstop, and he hit in the two-hole in that lineup. Um, he had a really tough year last year. Uh, you know, hit in, like in the low 200s. Jim Schlossenegel, their former coach, said before the season that he was the best defensive shortstop they ever had. And I think that, that really worked against Tommy, unfortunately, because he had some costly errors during the year. And, uh, you know, that comment got thrown around as sort of a joke at times. But uh, he got another – he got an extra year of eligibility because, of, uh, you know, the COVID situation. So he's really back for year five now. And uh, he's playing great. Like, he's hitting with some power. He's hitting over 300. He's playing well defensively. Um, so he's kind of turned into the leader of the team, which I wouldn't have guessed before the season. And they've just sort of found ways to win. I mean, I don't know if there's been one consistent unit that's been great all year. The rotation has sort of hodgepodge together and figured things out. They lost Austin Crowe early in the year. Marcelo Perez, who was in the bullpen to start the season, has uh, slid into a, a number two role and has done pretty well. Um, and they've they've eaten enough innings there to kind of stay in games and win some games. But, yeah, individually, I think the best story is Sacco. They're, they're really a team that I think they've come together and played better than the individual pieces that make up the, the group because there's not, there's not one um, part of the team that's really just standing out and, and having an outstanding year, but they've found ways to, to win big games and put themselves in a position to be in the Big 12 race. Sammy, one of the, the bigger picture topics as of late that's been going on is tampering inside of the NCAA. Talk a little bit about the situation that happened at TCU with Eddie Lampkin and the tempering that went on there. Yeah, Jerry, it's pretty wild. So I guess on Sunday night, Eddie sent out a cryptic tweet, uh, which, I mean, like people react to these things for student athletes, and sometimes it, there's really nothing to it. But he tweeted out something to the effect of, like, this is going to hurt. And so some people started speculating maybe he was going to enter the transfer portal. And then, you know, later on there was some reporting from Horn Frog Blitz, which is TCU's 247 site. But that was actually true. Like, he had papers ready to go. He was, uh, you know, maybe looking to enter the transfer portal. And then he talked with the TCU coaching staff, and they sort of worked things out, and he decided to stay put. But, um, you know, Eddie had a good season, like his – Stats aren't going to blow you up out of the water. He averaged six points and six rebounds. Uh, but he's a, a guy that gives you good minutes. He plays with great energy. He really came on as the year went on. So I think there's some potential there and there's some development. He also has a big personality. So he's been one of those guys that's really benefited from name, image, and likeness. He has a sponsorship with Chicken Express, um, which has a relationship with TCU. And I think he's got a few other things going on as well. But this is sort of the unintended consequence of NIL. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Jordan Addison situation at Pitt. Like, that's crazy. It looks like he's going to move on, and there's obviously been some shady things going on behind the scenes there. It's just a wild west right now. And, I mean, I believe the market will kind of correct itself eventually, or at least I hope it will. Um, you know, people that are throwing money around like crazy might be a little more frugal in the future um, just based on how some of these men and women pan out with their careers and how they produce. Uh, but at the moment, it just feels like you have a lot of people who are ready to, to be big spenders. And um, this is kind of the doomsday scenario that some people spelled out, which is, you know, these group of five schools and some of these smaller power five schools. You don't want them to just become like farm systems for the Blue Bloods where, um, you know, they, they might find some players that were under-recruited, develop them into talented players, and then bigger schools sweep in and say, okay, we'll come 
you know, come play for us now and we'll give you um, a handful of cash. That's not, I don't think that's what uh, the intention of name, image, and likeness was. I don't think that's what we want in college sports, but it's starting to pop up now um, and they're going to have to find a way to, sort of regulate that i feel like with the lack of leadership with the ncaa that's as you mentioned it is the wild wild west in fact we used that same term earlier this morning uh how do you put the genie back in the bottle Stephen? i mean they've got to get this under control in some shape form or fashion i think i think we're on a collision course for some really bad stuff in, with the nil and of course it has a direct reflection on the transfer portal how do we get the genie back in the bottle? Because you're a thousand percent correct. This was not the way this program was designed to work, but all of a sudden it's, it's a pay for play type situation. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the problem with the NCAA is it's, they're sort of like mall cops right now. Like I know they are launching a task force to try to uh, look into this, but I mean, is anybody really going to listen to them? And then the other issue is, are some of these power five conferences, eventually going to separate and, and form their own league. I think one thing that would help, I mean, it's not going to completely eradicate it, but I know they have some, some time frames on the portal right now. Like you have to enter in by May 1st to maintain your eligibility for the next season um, or have immediate eligibility in the next season. But, you know, in the NFL, like they have free agency periods, right? And I, we're not dumb. Like we know there's some tampering that goes on, but there's specific times where, okay, you can communicate with players. You can't communicate until then. Um, so, like, put some of those guardrails up. Like, make it to where – I know it's, in theory, the case right now, but make it to where there's punishments if you start contacting guys before they hit the portal. Um, and put some time frames in there that make more sense. And maybe there's only, like – maybe there's only two or three weeks within the year where you can be in the portal, um, and that's when teams – can contact you, and that might make it more of a free-for-all. But I feel like all the freedom the players have now to kind of get in and jump out makes it to where um, it, it's just sort of a, a situation where at any time you can sort of move and, and get where you want to go. Um, but, yeah, the issue is the, the governing body of the NCAA. I just don't think college sports has a lot of respect for them. But maybe the NCAA – can get some of these smaller schools behind them on this because um, it's not good for everybody. Like, is is this situation good for the Alabamas and Georgias and USC's of the world? Sure. But for the schools that are trying to, you know, compete with those teams, um, it could be a problem. So maybe if they get some support from some of those universities, then they could uh, get some things done. Stephen, what is the feeling or the energy around the football team after its first – spring in 20 years without Gary Patterson and the first spring with under the new head coach and new coaching staff with Sonny Dykes? I think the atmosphere is pretty good. Uh, they didn't have a player enter the portal, in my knowledge, after spring practice, which kind of surprised me. I figured with the new coaching staff, some guys would move on, but that doesn't seem to be the case. The players are responding well to him. I think they have more freedom. I think, uh, you know, Sonny is more of a player's coach. So they're enjoying that right now. The fans have more access to practice, have more access to the players and the coaches, and I, I believe they're enjoying that as well. Um, so it's still it's still a good time. You know, Gary was such a great coach, but it it just ended poorly. And the last few seasons, the team was pretty mediocre. Um, so I I just think any sort of change and breath of fresh air would have been welcome. 
and Sonny's kind of hit all the right notes so far. Uh, but as I've said before, like once the game starts, it just comes down to win or lose. And, and you can be as charismatic and as inviting as you want to be. Uh, but if you go blow a tire against Colorado in the season, then people are going to start getting restless. So that's going to be the true test. But right now, I feel like everything's going pretty smoothly and um, the players and the fans are responding well to the new regime. So the Frogs joined Texas and West Virginia as the only Big 12 teams without a player taken in the NFL draft. What how, what are you looking at as far as next year's prospects for the draft? Is TCU going to have a, a heavy contention heading in? Uh, so Quentin Johnson is getting some love already. I've seen him named as one of those top guys in the 2023 class in the wide receiver department. Um, so I think he'll be drafted for sure, just given his size and his frame. I don't know how high. It'll depend on what kind of season he has this year. Um, I'm, and, of course, that's also assuming he leaves early because he'll be a junior this season. But he'll be kind of the headliner. Um, you know, Travis Hodges Tomlinson's had a really nice career. Uh, I think he could play in the NFL, but they're so, they make so much about measurables. And uh, I think he's listed at six feet tall in the media guide, but I have my doubts about that. I feel like he's closer to 5'10", 5'11". Um, so, can he play corner? Can he play safety at the next level? I think he has the athleticism to do it. Uh, I feel like he'll get a chance. Those are the two names that come to mind. Um, you know, Alan Ali is a transfer from SMU. The offensive lineman that had a really nice career. He's got good size. Um, Steve Avila is another O-lineman with good size. Those are some guys that I think might get some looks if they can have productive seasons for the Frogs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the team has struggled in that department here lately you know they've done a really good job of producing NFL talent for a while in the last couple of seasons that's fallen off so I think um it would be nice for them to bounce back in that department this year and it really starts with uh with Quentin and the type of year he's going to have as a junior hey Steven uh what are you uh what are you working on for your podcast well we're talking a lot about uh this baseball situation that we let off with and then also you know the football offseason they got a round table going up with uh Another friend of y'all's show, Josh Neighbors, we were talking um, about name, image, and likeness and some other things around college sports. So that's going up today, and then plenty of coverage of TCU Athletics throughout the week. And it's Locked on Horn Frogs on podcast platforms and on YouTube. I appreciate you guys as always for having me on. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Stephen Simcox from the uh, podcast Locked on Horn Frogs.